nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. We're recording this shortly after Real Madrid's 3-2 win over Huesca, which had a weird vibe to it. And unfortunately, that weird vibe of playing for nothing will exist from now until the, the end of the season. Uh, joining me to talk about Real Madrid's win is our very own Matt Wiltsey and patron and now regular Managing Madrid writer, Brendan Powers. Gentlemen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Kian. Doing well. Brendan, how, how are you doing? You know, I'm just happy about the win, to be completely honest. You know, not really liking the fashion, but at least they got the win. Did you guys, I mean, like, to me, basically from now until the end of the season, it's a lot about, like, just the process, what we see on the pitch. Um, I I actually do think it's important when we get second, only just for the reason I think there's just some pride involved. Like, if there's, it's very attainable to just come second place right now. And it would be nice to get it. But at the same time, it's really, to me, it's just about process. And Zidane, again, after the game said, like, this is not a tryout or whatever, like you guys are claiming it is. I think there's a there's there's not a complete truth to what he says there. I think, like, deep down there is just a lot of him just, like, analyzing, you know, the squad he has and who he wants to keep. Uh, I I thought it was just interesting how we had that brief little, like, psychological boost was Zidane's return against Celta where there was like something in the air there was something in the air at the Bernabeu there was something in the air in Madrid and it was like a feel-good victory despite the season being over and then like just you fast forward two weeks against Huesca and like the stadium's half empty and everyone just like regressed to the idea like this is what our season is it's it's just it's just a it's a it's a disappointing season and and we have nothing to play for and today like it just kind of like hit you again um after that little brief, I guess, honeymoon period with Zidane that lasted like 24 hours. how Matt, maybe we'll start with you. When you saw the lineup, what, were, what was your initial thought? Yeah, I was I was excited. I think that's the one thing um, that kind of kept you engaged was the lineup. We had yeah. Raheem Diaz getting a start. We had Marco Chirente, Dani Ceballos, Isco, all of the, even Luka Zidane getting a start. So, I mean, there were... Um, it was just exciting to see these group of players all get a chance to play together. Um, Llorente coming back from injury, obviously, Brahim Diaz's first start ever for Real Madrid. So um, it was fun to see that lineup put out there. I think that's what kept people engaged today. Brandon, you mentioned that you had a hunch before the game that you would we would actually see Lucas Zidane. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, Zidane had made the comments before about, you know, all three keepers being good, you know, just making a point to everyone. And then Courtois goes down with the tendonitis in his thigh, and Keeler was, you know, over, you know, over the pond. So it just kind of made sense. You know, he's been playing well for Castilla as well. So, uh, I mean, I guess if you're going to reward him, you might as well reward him against a 20th place team who's already relegated pretty much. Well, Keeler played 180 minutes, and as you said, Playing 180 minutes in South America is a lot different than playing it in Europe. Like, that travel time makes a huge difference. And I think people sometimes underestimate that. Like, that's often why 
like in the kind of recent memory, you saw Barcelona slip after the international break, like the game immediately after. And I think it was just because like their entire front line was Messi, Suarez, Neymar. They were all traveling such huge distances. It takes a toll. So like while like you you saw a lot of kind of like these snarky comments uh, before the game and during the game, but Zinedine selecting Luca, I had to I had, that's how I differentiated the two because I couldn't call them both Zidane. But but then you kind of think about it. You're like, you know what, Kaler's Kaler's probably gassed. I know that he hasn't played much this season, but that was a lot of distance covered in this like short time span in the international break. He's not that young. You know, they get tired. Courtois obviously injured. It made sense. I'll also say this about Lucas Zidane. He's play- been playing well with Cassia of late. And he's been kind of like, he has this reputation about him where he's not very good. And I still, I'm very skeptical about him. I will say that. I'm not saying that he gets a pass or whatever. And I don't think he had much to do in this game. Huesca um, had a lot of shots. Uh, I think they actually ended up out shooting Real Madrid. Great chances, though. I'm not sure they were. Both the goals, I don't think he could have done much about them. Had had a one-killer pass to Brahim yeah. in the first half, yeah. which I was like, wow. Yeah, it was, was like, is this, is this uh, Allison? Is this Ederson? Like, I was just like, it was a really beautiful pass. Um, and, it, and it not only was it beautiful, it was also just, like, very incisive and efficient. And it, and it got Real Madrid from, like, one side of the pitch to the other in record time, and Brahim was in a great position. So, you know, it, it kind of made sense in... in now that I I will say I'm interested in Matt. You and I've been doing the loan tracker. The little of, we've seen of Luna and we've liked him. I do wonder what happens to that third spot. I think if Zidane wants to have Luca around, which I'm not again, I don't I don't think it's crazy to think that like this kind of like like he just kind of sees him part of the squad moving forward. And what happens to Luna? Does he just go out on another loan stint where they get him guaranteed playing time somewhere? I'm not sure. Um. But that's something that, like, I don't even think we would even be thinking about if Zidane wasn't back, if it was, like, still Solari or whatever. Yeah, and, I mean, the third third goalkeeper is only going to get the one, two, three matches per year, if that. So, uh, if that's all Luka is going to get, I'm fine with it, and it's in a meaningless match, then, yeah, I'd much prefer that, and I'd much prefer Luna and just keep getting farmed out and developed because I, I think he's a real top prospect. When you look, yeah, I agree. When I you, agree with that assessment. When you look at this game in particular, the start of the game was. I mean, I, and the entire first half was kind of mad to me. Like you guys mentioned off air that like the last 10, 20, 25 minutes or whatever were were probably the best. Um, lucky for me, that was the time where I just read my immediate reactions. So I sat through probably the <laughs> worst of it and kept my eye on on the rest of it. But. I want to take, I, I know we don't usually take patron questions until the end, but I wanted to take this patron question quickly. And, and by the way, if you listen to this, patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge. Get different rewards based on your pledge. Get access to at least two bonus shows per week, which only patrons get, including midweek games, mailbags, um, the loan tracker that Matt and I do. This question came in from Tyler Dixon. He says, well, it's more of a comment statement. Tyler says, Nacho can't play in this jersey anymore. Thank you for your service, buddy. But he can't cut it anymore, even as a backup. I thought, like, I mentioned in my immediate reaction, I still feel this way. I thought the the goal that Real Madrid conceded early, in the third minute, I believe it was. Uh, I thought it was, while I don't think Nacho has been good since the World Cup, relative to what we've seen from him in the last few years, and I 
and I don't think he's had a good season. And I don't think he had a good game, <laughs> but that particular goal that he really got crucified for, and, and by the way, the second goal too, he lost his man or just couldn't keep up with him at the at the the cutting run to the near post. The first goal, well, I felt like he was just a bit unlucky. Like I thought, like I didn't think he did much wrong. He had he stole the ball, he won it, and then he had a slip and kind of like an unfortunate bounce. And then you look at the team shape behind him. Marcelo kind of is just like, okay, just pick up my man in the box, assuming that someone does. And then he tries to get the passing lane. He doesn't. Marcos Llorente should have probably left the, far, uh, the near post and came and closed that sh- the, the goal. I, I just also thought that moment was a lot of people just started going crazy over Nacho. I thought it was a bit harsh on that particular goal. No, I, I agree with that. And I think, um, I mean, I've seen complaints coming more and more solo than more so than nacho even on that goal uh, but I, I i don't i don't think it's too much nacho's fault on that first one the second one that's a different story i mean he I mean, we've seen it time and time again i mean this time he lost track of his man but losing an aerial duel and just letting them get that equalizer late in the game and um i don't, I don't know what it is about nacho this season and he had like you said he hasn't been good it hasn't been a good season for him and i I don't know. We can't really put our finger on why. Is it just confidence? Is it because, I mean, he's not, I don't feel like he's already on the decline. He's only 29 years old, I think. Brennan, any any thoughts on Nacho's performance today? I mean, I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was terrible. He had some good clearances. I mean, missing his, I didn't think the first goal was his fault. The second one, that's a completely different story. But, you know, I think Nacho can still play for this team. I still think he can be a vital part of this team, you know, He's been reliable. I mean, he's only a year removed from being not only reliable for Spain in the World Cup, but crucial Champions League clashes with big opponents such as Bayern Munich, Juventus, um, where Ramos either gets suspended or Varane was injured. You know, he's been a pretty good player for this team for, you know, the entire Zidane era. And, you know, maybe this year hasn't been his best, but maybe he'll be back next year because, you know, he also won't play as many minutes next year because Militao will be eating up minutes as well. You know, so he's just kind of there, you know, and he wants to be there. That's the biggest part. He wants to bleed for this jersey. You know, he wants to play for it. He's like a Vasquez. You know, he's okay with not playing every single minute as long as he gets to play for Real Madrid. You know, I I would never take that away from him. And that's, I mean, I love Nacho as a player. And I'd be very upset if he decided to leave one day because I think he's been a very loyal player to the club for many years now. I think that's a really... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Matt. I I think that's a really good point because I think... The one thing is, if he's going to become a fourth-choice center back next season, are you going to ever find a fourth-choice center back as just with the quality that Nacho has? I don't, I don't know. And for someone that just is willing to take that role, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. See that, and that's the the key to me is that, and it's not just a fourth-choice center back. By the way, it's kind of just a fourth-choice center back and like anything else you want him to be in a pickle. Which I think you'll see him. I mean, before we saw him cover so much ground on the on the flanks, like in the years past, you don't really have that problem anymore. So you probably don't need him to cover the flanks unless you're really in a dire situation. Just given that Real Madrid have so much depth there, well, um, and Militao coming in as well can play on the right, so it pretty much eliminates him as a right back. And Lucas Vasquez is a right back, which is actually nice. That's to actually, not have that. That's that, also that true. Like so, like the the basically to that point, the the options on the wing backs are are limitless right now. Um, 
and and just like on the books as well like you know going through the summer like I'll, I'll be interested to see how Zidane kind of assesses like everyone under the books and you know you have another year with Atraf so that buys you a little bit of time but eventually you have to start you have to start choosing I but I think like if you in a vacuum you grade Nacho's like performance this season it hasn't been good and it's very tempting to say okay time to move on on the flip side you who are you going to get fourth choice center back that's going to be happy and good enough to be and and happy enough to stay there it's it's really difficult the only other option is if you want to go young you want to promote Javi Sanchez and to me by the way the four in terms of talent upside and how good they can be and how much they can help the four ideal now would be Ramos, Varan, Militao, and Vallejo. The problem with Vallejo is 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 obvious, and that's his health. So if if Vallejo is your fourth choice, you're risking it. If Nacho is your fourth choice, you at least have reliability in terms of health. You know, I think Nacho's had what one injury in his career or something crazy like that, and that was last season against Las Palmas. Uh, so then it makes sense to me you get Vallejo out on loan next year. Hope he has a healthy year, comes back, and then that would be the time you, you kind of phase out Nacho, is to me how the best way to do it at this point. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, building off your Vallejo point, I th- it was surprising not to see him even get a uh, start in this match considering the lineup shakeup. Um, but yeah. hopefully, I mean, I hope we see him at some point as before the end of the season just to get or maybe a couple run of games in just to get some sort of consistency, see what if he can even handle a run of games. Is he well, the only one that hasn't played yet? Him in has Regulon played yet? I think he's those no, two. Regulon no, Regulon hasn't. No, Regulon hasn't. Yeah, those two are the ones that we have yet to see under Zidane. I was really surprised about Brahim, by the way. I don't know about you guys. I was really surprised about Brahim. I didn't. I was happy. I have, um, I'm sure. I was really happy. And I thought he was good. I, I had already broken ground on an article about, about Brahim actually before this game and uh I mean well I don't want to spoil it but like I was definitely surprised about the signing and I was surprised that he started this one I want to say this about Brahim and I'm curious to know what you guys thought about his performance I I thought while he wasn't perfect and there was a moment where in the first half where he takes a short free kick and deep in our own half really quickly and gives it away and Marcos Llorente goes and just cleans the mess up as he does. But what I liked about Brahim in this game, and he had a really nice, delicate cutback to Isco on the first goal, I liked that he, he was very positive in his mindset. He seemed to always want to look vertical. Every time he released the ball, he would move again into an open space. Like he constantly, he was almost like on a, on a different level, kind of like the Vinicius mindset where it's just like, go, go, go. And that I really liked that about him. Yeah, you know, I thought Brahim was pretty good. You know, I for his first, like, true game as a Madrid player, I don't think it could have gone any better. You know, like, obviously it could have. He could have got a goal. But, you know, he gets that assist to Isco. But even that 1-2 play that he had with Benzema that set up Benzema for the goal, that was pretty, you know, like, most most players on Madrid probably would have taken that and shot on their left foot, especially because isn't Brahim a left-footed player as well? You know, he kind of had the space to take it there. But, you know, he gave it back to Benzema, and then Benzema took the shot, and then he was there for the rebound, and then he squared it to Isco. And, you know, I thought that was a pretty 
I thought that was a pretty good play. And I remember at one point he made a good run for Marcelo. Marcelo gave him the ball and he even dropped deep to help out Marcelo on that left wing, which I, you know, I couldn't ask for anything more of a kid who I believe he's 18, right? And hasn't really played many first team minutes. And I understand it's Wesco, but I thought all signs were positive for Brahim Diaz. And uh, Brandon, in regards to your question of whether he's left footed or not, I mean, that's, I think Marka came out with like an article just um, claiming that he, I mean, he doesn't even know which foot's his stronger foot. He uses both his left foot and his right foot. And after the match, um, one of the, one, one of the post-match interviews, he was asked about that. And I think he said, I can't remember which foot he's, but he said he likes to take penalties with his right foot, I think, mm-hmm. and then use his left foot um, to shoot the ball. So, so he's um, like Dembele pretty much. Yeah, or pretty thinks much. He, or thinks he's like Dembele. Yeah. and But no, like you guys said, I, I like um, his willingness to take risks. I liked his confidence. Um, thought he connected well with quick one-twos. Nice little touches. Always looking. If he has a man right on his back, he'll do a little outside of the foot turn and try to, like you said, be like Vinicius and be a bit more direct. Um, so I liked all of that. I thought areas of improvement, maybe there were certain times where I felt like he was just kind of holding on to the ball for no reason, like just lagging on the ball. Um, Could have just gotten a quick pass off. And other t- obviously, he's so small. So just his physical um I think that's all his physical abilities are always going to be something that is going to be he has he's going to have to always battle against that he had that that's actually an interesting point about like releasing the ball he had he had a bit of swagger to him and there was like a moment in the second half no first half uh where he's like by he has the ball like near the halfway line and he's just kind of like doing the shimmies with the ball at his feet yeah. And he's just like you can tell like he was kind of just enjoying the moment and he yeah. you know he wants you know he he wants to have some kind of like uh add some flair to his game and he was like aesthetically it was actually kind of fun to watch too. I enjoyed his performance. Um who were I have two other standouts. I don't I wouldn't necessarily say Brahim was a standout for me. Um, but I did enjoy his performance. I'd say there were three other standouts for me. I'm, but I'm curious to know, like, let's start with Brendan. Anyone else stand out for you? I thought Odriozola was pretty good. You yeah. know, I remember on the, one of the last podcasts, someone had made a comment of him, like, always, like, getting bodied off the ball. And he need, I need to put on some weight. But, like, he didn't really get bodied off the ball much today. And he made some good runs. But, you know, that final pass, he kind of lacks there. But, you know, he made a good, uh, crawl, like, uh, Across the six-yard box to Bale that Bale just couldn't get to and sent it over the bar. I think he had a few other ones, too, that didn't really lead to anything, but it's he's creating chances. He's more dangerous than Carvajal Hall offensively. Uh, Carvajal Hall is a better crosser of the ball, but you know I don't think there's many left backs or left wings that can keep up with Odriozola's pace. And, you know, he doesn't really need any, many moves except to just use his pace and get around people. Well, his cut, I think his crossing has improved over the course of the season because I actually, I thought it was quite good at Sociedad. I thought it was very calculated the way he could hit it. But I think the the most dangerous thing about him was that he could get to a ball and get a cross in like with one touch. Like you, so you're up, when you're running full throttle like that, you, you he's running with so much speed and to just he gets he has this knack for getting to the ball right before it goes out of bounds. He just kind of stretches out and he gets there just in time. He had like a really nice cut back to Benzema in the first half. And I thought he was definitely one of my standouts too, Brendan. 
Um, I thought he was good defensively too. And Matt, I'd be curious to know what you thought of his performance. But I will say, like, I don't think the the coverage on the left flank was the coverage on the left flank was okay. I think Ramos did a good job, and he was actually quite like a a defensive stalwart at moments, covering for Marcelo. Odriozola was, I thought, good on both ends of the field. He was good in transition defensively. He was good getting into good positions offensively. And there was a sequence in the first half where he runs back in transition, dispossesses a Huesca player, then passes to Bale up the flank, and then runs back up the field and gets it again, and, and then wins the penalty right at the edge of the box. Like It was like he covered so much ground within 30 seconds. But I'd be curious, Matt, what... Uh, a, your performance of Odriozola, and and B, give me, give me your other standouts for this game. Yeah, no, Odriozola was uh, one of my top performers as well. And I I think the one key element to his game is that, obviously, those overlapping runs. But when the match kind of gets into those later stages and the opposing team starts to tire out, I think when he can still make those long-busting runs and kind of carve through a defense and just... Um, and we slip those balls into him, that's when he's really dangerous because, I mean, the back line's a little bit more lethargic, a little bit more tired, and he can really utilize his speed. And just um, and today, like you guys pointed out, I think his final ball was much better. Uh, even that, he put an inch-perfect cross, and I'm sure we're going to talk about inch-perfect cross for Bale, and literally, what was he, three, four yards out, and somehow he missed it. It went over. Um, obviously that didn't go over too well with the Bay, but I thought that was a great play from Odriozola. And he did that a couple times this match, just continually slicing his way through on the overlap. Um, as far as other standout performers, I mean, obviously Kareem Benzema stole the show, man of the match, um, a goal, an assist, and he was just, I mean, he looks really, really good today. Another one of his strong performances. And I would say, I mean, and what's been a mediocre season, you're trying to see who's been your best performers. I mean, I don't think we can look past Kareem Benzema. I think he's probably been our best player this season. I don't think that's I don't think that's like completely irrefutable. Like like it's he's been he's been really good. I saw some stat about like how he's won Real Madrid twenty one points this season. I mean I I haven't wow. dove into that to see like what that exactly means. I guess it just means like the vital goals he scored and the timing he scored them. He's having a great statistical year. I think he's done really well. Like I think we criticize him a lot for his finishing. Uh, you know, people hate the word link-up play, and at this point, but it's just he's he connects the dots so well. And uh, you know, he missed two great chances in the first half in this game, but he was the the finish on the third goal was was phenomenal. Him muscling off Huesca player and then getting back into the box and kind of falling over, but obviously being important to the East Coast goal. Really good, really good performance from Big Benz. Well, and on that third one, you know, we I believe that Marcelo has as much credit for that goal as, you know, Benzema. If Marcelo doesn't make that run to pull the man off Benzema, it doesn't give him the space to get the shot off. So I watched it a few times just to mm-hmm. make sure that I wasn't seeing stuff. And Marcelo really pulled him off to give him that space to get that curler in. Um I'm I'm curious to talk about Bale for a second because uh you know the the and to me this is another case for Bale needing to be on the left but I also you know the the way that Real Madrid play it's so focused on the left hand side so basically anyone who plays on the left generally is going to touch the ball way more than the right side so 
you can whether you can go in this game or you can go kind of just in a general sense. Marcelo has more of the ball um, than Odriozola. Brahim way more of the ball than than Bale. Uh, whoever the left side of midfielder in this case it was Isco more than Ceballos, uh, and in general Cruz more than Modric, etc. And uh, and I think that's part of the reason why we also see kind of an inactive Bale in the first half. I think he only had two more touches than Lucas Zidane in the first half. Uh, and definitely the low 70 outfield player on the team when he was playing on the right. He goes to the left a little bit on this in the second half, um, but also, did, I guess, did was more active overall, and he ended up having a lot more touches in the second half. I also just think, I, I don't know if he was... I think we magnify the miss, which was pretty bad, if we're being really honest. Like, I... <laughs> He needs to score that that sitter he missed. He had another good chance too. But that one particular cutback from Odrizola that you mentioned, Matt. What was interesting to me that I don't I don't know if he was that bad. I think it I think with Bale now everything he does is just universally just labeled as bad. Yeah, if he doesn't have a perfect game, everyone's talking about how bad he played. I didn't think he was that bad either. There's many games where I don't think he's that bad, and he's getting torn apart in comment sections and stuff. And, you know, even uh, the analysts during games sometimes are like, yeah, Bale's just not involved today. And But sometimes, you know, I know Bale is not Mario Icardi, but, you know, to use Mario Icardi as an example, he doesn't touch the ball all that much, and, you know, he's quite influential in games. And like I said, I'm not saying Bale's that player because he's not, but you right. know, all Bale needs is one touch or one shot, and you know he's quite powerful. He's got great technique. He can hit a volley. You know, yeah, he's he's got the attributes to be you well, know, that one time shining. That's all he needs. He's a, uh, I mean, in different positions, obviously too. But I mean, like we obviously we cover Raúl de Tomas every weekend. Same thing with him. He barely touches it and scores. Harry Kane, you know, really not that involved today against Liverpool, although he's more active, I'd say, generally. Uh, with Bale, though, I find just because, like, the more involved he is, the more likely he is to score in the sense that he's just more in the flow. He's more confident. He had those two crosses, which were both outside the boot. One of them was the hockey assist to the to the uh, Ceballos goal. And then the second one eventually led to the Benzema goal. He had nine crosses in this game. Um, so he was involved in that sense. But Matt, sorry, I cut you off, I think. You were going to say something about Bale. <laughs> no, no. Um, well, I mean, I was just, I was really curious to see how Bale performed in this match following up on his, I mean, man of the match performance last time out under Zidane and just yeah, was an unbelievable two-way presence, was everywhere, scored a goal. I mean, he did it all. And so I was hoping to see him kind of build off that and, kind of put together a consistent run of games because that's what we've been that's what we've been talking about with Bale for so long is that yeah he has these incredible matches and we know what he's capable of but he's for me he's just way too inconsistent like I it's just I I'm a I'm a Bale fan and I I want to see him do well I do believe he's a uh, he loves this club and he's a Madridista but I just it frustrates me because I feel like in this game, I like you guys said, I don't think he was poor. And I think he had some really good involvement, especially those outside of the boot crosses. But I still think that, like, given the match he had last time out, he needs to continue to build on that. And he needs to provide a consistent run of games because it's been very far and few between where he has really done that. Maybe the his first season and then that um, 
I guess it was 15, 16 season where he basically carried the team on his back and we almost came back in La Liga. Um, but that was, again, only maybe the later second half part of the season. So for me, I just want to see Bale be more consistent. I think that's a very reasonable thing to request. And like, this is, this is the biggest issue with him. It's like, we just don't know which one we're going to get game to game. Today, I don't think he was great. I don't think he was terrible, although he has to finish that chance. Um, the game against Southie was phenomenal. Like you said, probably the best player on the field. Um, I, I just do wonder that, like, you know, I, I would love to see him on the left a little bit more, but it's just complicated that because everyone seems to want to play on the left, and that's where all the possession is. And that's where a lot of people play their best, maybe apart from Asensio and Lucas Vasquez. So, uh, The other standard I had, by the way, was Marcos Llorente. A uh, bit of a quieter second half. As as I'd say, like the entire team was kind of quiet in the second half until, until like you guys mentioned, the twenty twenty five minutes, or at least until where Real Madrid scored the second goal. Um, there were a few giveaways in that first half with Marcos Llorente just mopped up, got back into position, outmuscled the opponent, won the ball. He had three completed dribbles in this game, which was kind of an anomaly for him. Three interceptions, uh, three tackles of the half, four overall before he was taken off midway through the second half. I'm just I'm I'm just glad to see him slot back into the team after a big injury and uh we weren't sure how he was gonna do under Zidane. I you know, I I was optimistic in the sense that I think I don't think necessarily like Zidane just walked in and everything was gonna be the same as when he left it and all the players, you know, he picks are the same ones he was gonna pick. I thought there was a lot of learning he probably observed under Solari and Lopetegui and was probably impressed with certain things, you know, that Ceballos, Llorente, Regulon, these guys did. But at the same time, I was kind of, you know, just waiting to see it, to see what would happen. Um, I'm a long way to go. Like, you know, I have no idea if, if Llorente is part of the long-term plans, but I was happy for him in the sense that, you know, just he, he had a really solid game and was a stand-up for me in the first half. Yeah, and he came back. I mean, this was his first game back from injury. So um to put in that type of performance and like <laughs> he was literally everywhere i mean whenever i watch Llorente play i feel exhausted for him because he's just everywhere um i'm exhausted just but, looking at his instagram story yeah seriously <laughs> um but no i thought i thought he was really good and like you i think kudos to zidane because like you said i mean he's donny ceballos marco Llorente. these guys didn't, couldn't buy a start last time out under Zidane, no matter what. Like, it wouldn't matter who was suspended, who was injured. Like, he would reshuffle the formation so that they couldn't play. And so the fact that, I mean, Ceballos has played both games now. Marco Chirante getting the start right after coming back from injury. I mean, that's, he, like you said, I, he has said in a recent interview that he was watching from afar. He lives in Madrid. Um, he, he loves the club, and he was watching the game. So it's obvious he's seen that these guys have played really well this season they deserve a chance so that i mean that's what i was really happy about any other thoughts um from the first half second half i mean anything really um actually i have a few things that um one i was really impressed with luca's uh footwork and like kind of how how calm he was on the ball you know because you know you don't always get that from keepers you know fourth courtois we never get that um as you could see with his uh blunder against russia um but Back to Urenta. He had one good uh, dribbling sequence that I was really impressed with, where he he didn't like beat anybody, but like you know, like he just 
for like a good like five ten seconds just to let anyone get the ball off him, and then he passed it off because he had got fouled. I don't know if you guys remember that, but I was very impressed with that. I didn't know that he had that sort of ability to be able to do that, you know, dribble himself out of a an issue, a problem. I, I Lucas Zidane's footwork is, has generally been good. I think like I'm thinking back to watching Castilla games now. There was one moment. I don't know if it was last year or two seasons ago. I want to say two seasons ago. Possibly last season, though. I'm not sure because it's all a blur to me. Where he's like, there's nobody around him. And there's, you know, he has plenty of time. He can either kick the ball out of bounds. He can kick the ball up the field. He can do whatever he wants. So it's just no one. And then an opposing attacker just kind of slowly walks towards him and kind of gets faster and gets faster and finally approaches him. And Zidane tries to dribble him and then just gets dispossessed and they score. (laughs) <laughs> but like, apart from that moment, um, I think his, his footwork is probably you know generally one of his his strengths. He has agility too. He's an agile goalkeeper. Like he can, he's quick. Like on the weekend, you know, last weekend with Castilla, he had a really nice save off the line when someone tried to lob him from half, and he got back really quick, and it was kind of really nice ac- acrobatic save. Uh, Matt, do you have anything else you want to talk about from this game? Yeah, yeah, I have a couple things. One, and I really want to get your guys' perspective on this because it's hard to de- depict. Um, so just kind of the tactical setup and um, what we saw kind of in-game. I mean, obviously we set out with a four-three-three, but the one thing I did notice uh, in this game was we, and we've seen this under Zidane before, where the team wasn't necessarily looking to press. So I thought we, for the most part, sat sat in, allowed Huesca to have the ball and kind of come at us. And then we could, in turn, dispossess them and counter if we needed to. But there wasn't really... Uh, we, didn't put, we didn't look to put out a high press. There were times, though... I mean, I saw Danny Ceballos do this. I saw Isco do this where we had, like, a one-man press. They decided yeah. all of a sudden to go out and do that. And I, I never understand... Like, I don't understand if that's as a Don thing, or if that's just a player making up his mind, all oh, this is a time to press and the rest of the team doesn't go with him. Um, but I'm interested to get your guys' opinion on kind of the tactical outlay and um, what you saw. Because, I mean, for me, I, there wasn't much. I, I mean, I just thought it was a little bit disorganized and, um, and didn't really see a clear tactical plan. <laughs> Welcome to the Zidane era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't think that stuff is by design, by the way, because one of the things that always confused us about Zidane was that, and I and I noticed the same thing you did today. I noticed Sabios in particular, because Sabios is kind of in his nature to just press. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if the team is not cohesive behind him, they kind of can just collapse. Although I wasn't, it wasn't anything like on that level today. And despite you know, you look at this game, and I, th- I think West got like thirty percent of the ball outshot Real Madrid or came close like neck and neck with them. But if you look at the XG, they didn't generate nearly as clear-cut chances as Real Madrid did. And so I, I don't think like any of that that bad pressing collectively really like damaged them astronomically today or dramatically today. But I did notice that. And I think, and I actually noticed it against Celta a lot too, especially in that first half where you the worst place to be defensively your defensive shape is like you're neither pressing nor in like a compact block and like so a lot against Celta you saw a lot of you know the attackers and midfielders just kind of in limbo and one quick pass from Celta would cut through and they were behind the lines and like that's it and that happened a lot you know 
even during the three-peat, we saw um, whether it was Tottenham early in the Champions League or or Valencia in that run last year, like one pass. And that was the biggest criticism we had was like, how can one pass just absolutely carve you like that? It's unacceptable. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I don't... But at the same time, we never really understood it because we actually saw the team press really well at times. So we know there's cap- capable players, a capable manager to do that. So I, I don't know. I also like deciphering a lot of Zidane stuff can be difficult to do because it's so wildly different from game to game. And even within the game, it's wildly different. And I always found that really challenging to analyze about Zidane. It's like there there are times where it's just, it's wildly unpredictable and there's lack of consistency. Results, results can come, but it can be difficult deciphering exactly what the plan is sometimes. Brennan, do you have any thoughts on the on you know the team shape or like the tactics in this one? You know, I didn't really. There wasn't really much there. You know, as you said that Guesca uh, only had thirty percent thirty percent possession. So you know, we had the ball most of the time. Which usually, when we have the ball, there really isn't with, under Zidane. Usually, there's not much shape anyway. You know, Marcelo's playing as like a left wing, and Llorente is playing like you know, like it's just kind of like everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Sometimes it feels that way. But other than crossing the ball into the box, you know, that's all they looked really to do. As you said, Bale had nine crosses. Um, but I did like Zidane's subs today. You know, I didn't, I didn't mind him just taking out Llorente and putting in Mariano. You know, that's usually what we get from Zidane. The go for the win subs. You know, we like uh, a few years ago we saw it against that Barcelona, that Barcelona game. We were down ten men. And he, I think he like threw Hamas on or something like that, and then Hamas scored, and then we ended up conceding a goal because we were pressing too much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's kind of impractical, but it kind of works from time to time. And you know, I, I thought taking Urente off and going for the goal was the right decision. So, from that point of view, I mean, I like that, but tactically, yeah. I didn't think there was much there. No, yeah, that's it's funny you mentioned that because that was that's exactly what I was thinking to myself as we were talking was well that that was a, a tactical switch when he brought on Mariano for Marco Chirante, um and kind of switched to a four four two, and we went for it and you we all talked about it off air those final twenty minutes or so and the last part of the match where we were really going for it that's when the team looked its best there was a sense of urgency there was a sense of here's something to play for. Um, we want to keep this good record intact. We want to keep the good feeling under Zidane. And so um, that, I thought that was probably the, the best part of the match. And, yeah, fair fair play to Zidane. He did make a switch there, a tactical switch, um, and, and it did work out. I think this is an interesting discussion, and I think there's an interesting question that can tie into this. There's a question from Sheikh Atiri, one of our patrons. Uh, he says, this was such a Zizou victory. The team not giving up until the last second. It was the first time that we came back from behind since Julian was sacked. Under Solari, we didn't even tie a game after getting behind on the score sheet. Also, this is my weekly complaining that we are talking about left forwards when Asensio and Vinny are already there and don't get enough time. If they are both healthy, and that's even if we let Bale go. I'm more concerned about the center forward position, though. Uh, speaking of Bale, here's my question. If Bale leaves and with Cristiano gone, we will have completely lost our Air Force, which is probably the best in the world. All of our forwards, except Benzema, are under six feet, and Benz doesn't have many seasons left in him. We'll be left without our 
with our two center backs, whoever is there, and our defensive midfielder during set pieces and nobody during the attack. Should we be worried about losing this superiority we enjoyed for such a long time, which carried us forward? Among the forwards mentioned, Hazard, Mbappe, and Neymar, they are all under six feet too. I guess what I'm getting at is that Florentino needs to sign Gabe. <laughs> I didn't I actually didn't see that coming until I just read it. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> Gabe is six something. Six he seven, did, I believe he said. Six seven, he said. On if you <laughs> listen to our epic mailbag discussion, where we had to answer um, whether we would play for Real Madrid if <laughs> we ended up being the worst player in Real Madrid history, but earn like millions of dollars if we do it. And then we thought about like which position we'd do the least damage in, and Gabe said for him it would be center forward because he could at least get on the end of headers because he's so tall. Sign him up. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting question to a degree, but I also think sometimes you overcomplicate it. So, and the question about crosses is always interesting because last game against Celta, I think there are 27 crosses or 25 crosses. I can't remember exactly which of those two it was, but it was under the season average for for a home game. And today we had 24 crosses. But I do, my concern is mostly not that, you know, signing short players or whatever, because we've seen, at some point you just cater to your strengths. So if you have Cristiano Ronaldo and Mandzukic in there as Juve do, you just cross, 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 and you're bound to just do damage. This season, if you only have Bale and then Mariano, the odd game, you know, and Benzema sometimes gets on the ends of those. It's not bad. Uh, Whereas if you're Barca and you really don't have anyone of that sort and you're, you have a short team in general, you rely less on crosses. And if you look at their crossing numbers, they're, they're typically on the lower end of crosses per game in the league. And you start playing different way. You know, you do one twos in the half spaces, which is like how Barca and City score so much of their goals is just through combinations and movements and less about aerial crossing. Um, and you don't rely on it as much. My concern is mostly not about the personnel. I'm not worried if we go another route and we don't have top players anymore. Um, sure, it would be great to have a Ronaldo or whatever. But I, my concern is mostly can we adjust and shift our game? Because I remember last season, there was this one game that stuck out in my mind like very heavily that I it almost traumatized me for the rest of my life. It was a way to Espanol. And... Uh, and it, well, it wasn't unique to that game. It just, to me, that game was like really just, it was it was really bad. Where Bale would go to the left and the other two options in the front three were Isco and Asensio. So Bale, the only aerial threat, would be on the left crossing to like Isco by himself in the box marked by five players. Or like, or sometimes he would just cross to nobody at all. And I'm like, yeah. how is this possible? How do, how do we get to this? How does Real Madrid... Club de Football get to this stage in their history where you have the only top player crossing to nobody. And we saw it against Tottenham a lot. We saw it against Las Palmas. We saw it against Valencia, Villarreal, where you just look up and it would just be a cross to one player surrounded by defenders. And that one player is not even like a behemoth or anything. My concern is not so much that if we switch in our front three one day is like, you know, Hazard, Mbappe, and Neymar. That would be, that'd be phenomenal, by the way. It'd be mostly just like, can could we adjust to it? Can can we can we rely rely less on crosses? My inclination is to say I think we'd be fine, and we would adjust. So I don't think this is a huge problem. But I'm very curious to know what you guys' thoughts are. Maybe we can start with Matt and and then and get and get Brendan's thoughts after. 
And I'm, I think, I mean, Shay, great question, because I think he brings up a couple of really good points. Um, but first, in regards to um, just our aerial ability and the height on the team, um, yeah, I, 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 like you said, Keon, I think we would we would adapt, and you'd have to adapt. I mean, if if your strength is not in the air, you're not gonna you're not gonna play that way. But I do think, um, I mean, with Militao coming in, with you still have Sergio Ramos, you still have Rafa Varane, Casemiro can get in there, Benzema is decent in the air. I mean, you still have those players, so I don't I don't think, and I we expect all those guys to be around, so. I still don't think it'll be a weakness for us. Um, obviously, when you lose Cristiano, it, that's that's probably the biggest thing. But I don't I I don't think it'll be a weakness for us. Um, but the other point that I just want to quickly touch on that Shay made um, was the fact that we didn't make a single comeback under Lopetegui or Solari. Every single time yeah, that was another bonkers coach, to read, actually. Yeah, scored a goal against us. We never made a comeback, and so. Um, and that was something that was just paramount to Zidane's first era. Like that's what the team was. No, literally, I think I have to go back and look, but almost every single Champions League knockout round game, we were scored on first, and then we came back. So uh, it was just. I mean, that's that's a huge part of this team's ethos and what they were capable of. And so it was, that was at least good to see. And that's something. I mean. Hey, it didn't happen under two other managers, so maybe there is more to it than just um, like, oh, it's just the team, it's just the mentality. No, it's something Zidane brings. It's uh, it's a different mentality, it's a different way of um, whether or not it's his aura or whatever it is, but it's it's a part of something that he brings as a coach. Yeah, you know, and I agree a hundred percent with that. But you know, I was I was actually it was actually something I was thinking about um, during the game. I was like, man, I don't remember us coming back a lot this year. And I was like, 2-2, you know, if anyone's going to do it, I guess it's going to be under Zidane. And it did happen. But that also brought a point that I was thinking about. You know, I watch a lot of – I don't always watch a lot of La Liga games, but, you know, I'll go through the highlights. And, you know, something I always – that is synonymous with Barcelona is they always turn – like, they always win points. You don't really see them drop points, you know. It's very rare. You know, they'll be down and they'll – I won and they'll tie it or they'll be tied and then they'll win it in like the last few minutes. And, you know, that's how you win La Liga. You know, that's how we won the La Liga in 16, 17 was we were always winning points. We weren't dropping points. And that's pretty much been the difference this year. If you look at um, just the results this year is it was us dropping points. I mean, obviously it's how you win the league and stuff, but, you know, late on, that's what, when we thrived and, you know, that's kind of how Barcelona has been so consistent over the past 10 years. I think they've won seven and 10 and that's how they've done it. Um, but to the point of the height, I don't really find that as a big deal because as you guys said, you adapt, but even, even if we lack height and we continue to cross the ball, you know, good crosses, somebody will find, find a way to get to, you know, you'll, if there's a good run and you find the wide open person, you know, you saw it with the Firmino goal today, you know, he was just wide open and I don't think for Bobby Firmino is that tall. So, you know, if you make a good run and you have people who can make good runs in the box, they'll get their head on the ball or they'll get their foot on the ball. They'll try and get the ball into the net. So height isn't always anything. It's always just beating your man or, you know, on set pieces, you know, Zidane has done a good job of uh, our set pieces. We, we have tended to score on them from time to time under Zidane. And 
you don't always need height. Sometimes it's just taking away, getting the right matchup. You know, whether it's getting, you know, Bale open, Benzema open, Casemiro open, whoever it is. You know, it's just setting it up to be successful. You don't always need the height. Height doesn't always win, you know, when you cross the ball. That's true. I mean, there's like how many times have we seen a decoy runner or players pulling in defenders one way and then someone else getting open the other way? Um, I'm pretty sure Ramos also counts for three three tall people himself. <laughs> so we have that. I mean, you know, this this discussion is it is interesting. I also think like it's not all about height, like you said. You know, even when scoring or defending set pieces. So it's one of those things is like you know i i don't think you obviously i don't think you think about necessarily so much when you're signing or building your team but at some point you know when you have your team you just you just look at the strengths you see where they are and just come up with a plan the the question about well not a question but just kind of like shay says in passing about the left-sided attackers you know at some point we're just going to we're going to get the answers to this in the summertime and and i think we'll We'll look back on it and kind of maybe just say like you know maybe maybe it wasn't that as problematic as we thought it was because in the summertime we'll see it weeded out we'll see who is going to get dropped and who it's not and I think if the worst case scenario we go into next season with like a bunch of these attackers in the same position and then you end up having like so many you don't know what to do with it isn't that like isn't that fine? Isn't that a good problem? Isn't that the same problem we had in sixteen, seventeen when we made the league run? I mean, at some point you have to deal with the consequences of you know what players are going to be like. I'm going to play somewhere, so I got to go. But in the interim, if we have a season of that, I don't think it's the worst thing now that I think about it. No, I, I completely agree, and I think um, I've mentioned this a couple times before, and I, I just think it's a just such a good point. Um, when Eduardo Alvarez was last on the pod, he made the point that, yeah, we have a starting 11 and we have all these young players, but we lack the depth that we used to have. And that, and by depth, he doesn't mean young players that can come in and take shoulder just a little bit of the responsibility, gradually get more involvement. He means players who can come in right away and take that responsibility and be a game winner and really ha- have had, like, are in the peak of their peak of their um, playing days. And so that's, um, like you said, I don't think that's, it's something you have to juggle during the season. And it's something that may have repercussions at the end of the season with people wanting to leave, but it's not necessarily a bad thing while you have it. Um, I'm going to do quick patron shout outs, but before I do that, I'm going to give you guys just like the floor one last time. Anything, did we miss anything from this game? Um, there's one thing that actually is kind of upsetting to me. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that Mariano doesn't get really get to play that much. And, you know, part of the reason because of that, in my opinion, is probably because Benzema has been, you know, banished from the French national team. You know, and we don't need to go into that. I just kind of find it quite unfortunate because like, you know, like the one thing after a national break, sometimes I get to think I'm like, oh, man, maybe, you know, people are going to get rested. You know, if Benzema was Benzema was with France playing two games because he's obviously better than Giroud. I mean, no doubt in anyone's mind. And if you think otherwise, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so, like, you know, I just wish Mariano would get to play more. You know, that's been my biggest complaint this year is we went and spent $35 million on this guy to back up Benzema, and he really hasn't gotten to back up Benzema. If anything, you know, he might have been better served for himself playing at Sevilla. 
which is kind of unfortunate because I like the kid. I think he's got a ton of talent. I think he's got an eye for goal. He's got height. He's got kind of cool hair too, so, you know. 28 appearances for Benzema, most of anyone on the team this season. Uh, 2,348 minutes, only second to Sergio Ramos. So uh, while I get, like, the idea that, you know, Benzema doesn't have the international duty or whatever, there was definitely a point, and Matt wrote about this, about that he could just have used some rest. Oh, agree, hundred uh, percent. I I also just wonder, like, you know, I, I'm first of all, I also maybe my expectation is just lower than yours, Brendan. But I, I was just like even thrilled that Mariano got two games consecutively off the bench. He just, <laughs> if, God knows if he would get that if Solari was still here. I doubt it. And uh, and I was just happy to see that because I actually really believe in 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 Mariano a lot. And I, you know, and we've we've had a lot of conversation with Raul Tomas, and it was mentioned on the broadcast today. I can't remember why which commentator. I don't know if it was Ray or if it was Guillaume or because I switched feeds at one point. But you know, the idea of bringing Raul Tomas back, which makes sense to me because he's a good player off the bench, one of the most underrated players in Spain this year. I really think if Mariano was healthy and playing regularly. This guy is is a 15 goal per season player, I think, in the league. Just based on like what he did in league and the, the his goal to game ratio, um, I think if he's playing even with better players, albeit in a better league, I think he scores a lot of goals. So I'm not ready to give up on him yet. And I, but I do think it's crazy that Benzema has played that much, and we haven't really talked about his minutes and his usage. Well, we have capable striker off, off off the bench. Like I'm not, and I mean like a capable striker. I'm I don't I don't think he's just a player with upside. I really think Mariano is a player ready now. Um, so I was just you know maybe the bar was lower for, again for me, but I, I was excited he even played off the bench twice now. So, and uh, you know we do know Zidane likes him. Uh, I don't know what happens to him. I don't know what happens to Raúl Tomas, but I'm glad to see him at least playing a little bit. Well, I mean, I think just to build off your guys' point, I think the thing that's frustrating is just how do we know if we should cut him or not? Because we haven't even given him a fair shot. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, how do you know if you're going in with Benzema as your starting striker again next year, how do you know that Mariano's, I mean, we believe he's a capable backup and we believe he can score those goals and we believe he should be starting matches, but we don't really know because no one's given him the shot. And, I mean, now's the time to do it so that we do know heading into the summer that, do we want to keep Mariano? Do we want to bring Raul de Thomas? Do we want to sign someone else like Jovic? Like, what what do we want to do? And if you don't play him, how are you going to know? Yeah, and uh, Zidane alluded to after the game today that Benzema is not going to be one of the big changes this summer. So I, the exact quote, I don't remember, but I can paraphrase, and he basically just said Karim Benzema is going to be a Real Madrid player for a long time. So that leaves, I mean, that's not a surprising quote. But no, that that doesn't mean I I don't know what that means. That could mean he's a he's a starting striker. That means he could you know he just plays a prominent role alongside a goal scorer. Either way, that probably leaves a position one position open in terms of like a, an actual like goal scorer. So to me, I don't I don't think Mariano is that like that de facto guy. I just think either him or Raúl de Tomas are one guy that can complement off the bench. So. I, I, it's not like there's like this huge opening in terms of like you know we have we can we can fill this many positions. It's actually like it's very limited, so I I don't know what that means. But like, 
would a and this is my this is my question this is my big question and I don't like talking about trans but my my big my big question is are they looking for someone like Jovic or are they looking for someone like Hazard you know the two completely different players that that that'd be my biggest question is is that and and how much do they want to give Benzema a prominent role now at, at this stage of his career I think Hazard would play pretty well with Benzema, though. Um, I saw some statistic, and he had like 14 assists and 13 goals, I think. So he was like, I think it was the highest like combined uh, goal like totals for a, any Premier League player in the Premier League. So 27 altogether. And, you know, he links up well with one twos. That's well known. And, you know, so does Benzema. So I think they would complement each other quite well. Hazard is an unbelievable player. Like I have no oh, doubt amazing. that he would excel with Real Madrid. And I, to me, he's an upgrade over every single player we have in that position. I, you know, I don't care how much you love like this player or that player. He's he would be the best attacker we'd have. Mike, but my question is, you know, as as stacked as that position is, you're still upgrading it, even though it's not a need. But my question is, like, is his 13 goals in 30 games is actually is that clinical enough for what we need? That's my question. It I gotta have up, my though. doubts on. It could go up, though. You know, I don't think it's that far out of question. I mean, yeah, but he's, he's, he's twenty-eight. Shooting. He's. I think we know what he is now. That's you know, that's my concern. And like with Chelsea, he's basically he was asked to be that guy because they played with a false time for the majority of the year until Higuain came, and he's just not that guy. I don't think. I don't think he's that guy. I think he's thirteen to fifteen, maybe. Although thirteen's not bad. It's it's. Because the season's not even over yet. I no, I agree. Yeah, I, like I just you know I just don't think that Chelsea squad is as it's obviously not as talented on paper, and you know when you have got like I don't I don't really think he has anybody to really set him up as he would at Real Madrid. So you know like like if Isco no, it's played a, their more offense this year, is a mess. That's true. Yeah, like if Isco played more this year, like you know I think Isco's had like two tappings the past few games. You know like. That could be, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just think, like, with Benzema there and maybe Isco playing, like, let's say he goes with his diamond again, you know, the 442 diamond. He has Benzema and Isco there, both guys who are very, you know, all three guys are great in between the lines. You know, if they kind of all share the load a little bit, you know, I think his numbers could go up, you know, just because he plays on that left wing, you know, like, I mean, to, like, we like to cross the ball into the box, you know, even if, like, Odriozola, like today when he was coming down the line, you know, just cross it right across the six-yard box, you know, like, that could have been Hazard there, you know, I, that's why, that's the only reason I think it could go up, I don't think that, like, he's going to get any better or anything, I just think he might have more chances to finish, so he will finish them. I don't think there's any question about that at all, I, there's no question, I think he, Real Madrid, I think overall, especially if you, had, if you had Hazard, they're just a better offensive team than Chelsea are, I think, Chelsea just are so painful to watch, in many ways, like, Matt, you and I are probably just going to talk about this on Tuesday, so I don't want to ruin it. But like, it's—I have no doubt that he would excel. He would do well. I have no questions about that. I just think Hazard is so good. Like, it's been a joy to watch him week in week out. While it's been a disaster watching Chelsea. Like, he's the one guy that you can—you can be like, you know, oh, he's going to at least make this game some a little bit worthwhile. Just the way he carries himself and the team is is really impressive. Again, I, it's just about. If he's that one guy, that one signing, then you, I think you better be, you better be getting a good contribution from everyone offensively in, in to carry the the, the load, because you still don't have that one pure goal scorer on the team. If if so, 
Still lack it, unfortunately. But if he's not willing to get rid of Benzema, then I don't know. You know, I don't really know if there's any high-profile uh, left wingers you can score other than, you know, obviously Ronaldo. Neymar, maybe. And Neymar, too. But I don't really think Neymar is that available, if I'm being completely honest. I think that's more yeah. so the media just spewing it. Just trying to, you know, stir the pot a little bit. But other than those two, you know, I think the only position where you could upgrade and get a uh, pure goal scorer would be, you know, the striker. And obviously, from Zidane's comments today, that isn't going to happen. They might get somebody, but like, they might, you know, if they went and got a Cardi, like, like I, like you said, we don't like to talk about transfers, but you know, like if they went and got a Cardi, like, how would they even fit in a system of him, Benzema? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think it, they'd have to run a two-striker system. Which I don't, you know, they did it with Ronaldo, but Ronaldo is a different player than Icardi. All good questions. All good questions. The answer, as always, is we'll see. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to our patrons before I wrap it up. As you guys all know, patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge. One of your awards, if you pledge $10 or more, is you get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to these $10 plus amazing patrons Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros. John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefane, Adam Dorsey, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Nicole Gant, Sergio Monleon, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sad Omar, Sheikh Atiri, Oluwapamimo, Oladunjoy, Christian Toft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Tyler Dixon, Raga Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Peña Maradista, San Francisco Bay Area. Brandon Stevens on the show. Catherine Fagundo, Vinod Baratula, Zoran Bosnich. Sorry, not Brandon Stevens. Brandon Powers, but also Brandon Stevens. Uh, Sway Ayala, Crystal Glass, Rafael Servia, Yihin Liang, Ahmed Almayahi, Umar Mahadi, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, and Daniel. Smith. Thank you so much, guys. And uh, sorry for getting the Brendans mixed up there. Uh, <laughs> Thank you all for listening and Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid.